Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And we are back for the first time in, I think, three weeks. Um, and we just want to say off the top, we're sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are indeed. <laughs> we, we've been, there's been a lot going on. We've had busy personal lives, just as you all do as well. And um, you make things happen anyway. But we've been talking internally. We are going to try to get back on track. It might not be weekly, but we're, uh, we're going to try to work internally on a schedule that makes sense for us. Um, something that you all can then expect content on a regular schedule um, so that, you know, you have a podcast there when you expect a podcast there. But uh, we also kind of attach to that one to direct you to go to our Twitter, uh, follow us over there if you enjoy what we do here at, at the Warehouse Pod. Um, Eli has been really running point on that and, and beefing up our tweeting numbers, boosting some followers, really just getting engaged with everybody because uh, that's where we do the bulk of our talking and listening and all that stuff about baseball. So yeah, we apologize, but uh, yeah, stay engaged and we appreciate you. So, And even if you don't follow us, go jump onto Orioles Twitter because yeah. it's a really fun spot. It's a really cool assortment of people and we have a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. There's been a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fun follower or uh, usernames going around on uh, Twitter. Now that Adley Rutschman's up, I think one of the most notable just followed us today. I won't say what it is, but <laughs> Um, he or they have been very popular on Twitter this last yeah. week or so. So check that out. <laughs> I'll leave it to the <laughs> imagination there. Jesse, I think looks confused and he's not totally sure what we're even talking about. Um, but yeah, it's good vibes over on Orioles Twitter. Um, how, how are you guys doing right now? Jesse, Eli. I mean, I'm not uh, the best person <laughs> to be asking this question to, but I'm fine and I'm excited to be back with you guys. Um, you know, I have felt the effects of, of not recording, so I'm excited to talk. And uh, yeah, basically, you know, there's, uh, you know, we have the biggest news to discuss today in probably, I don't know, I mean, this might be the biggest news we've had to discuss on this podcast in like, maybe over a year, probably over a year, probably since the Machado trade, maybe. So I yeah. mean, this is this is like enormous news that we're going to talk about today. Everybody, I'm sure, knows what it is. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, it'll probably be in the title of the episode if you somehow right, exactly have not figured it out. But I mean, yeah, I think that's a that's a good point, Jess, is look, Adley Rutschman has been promoted to the Baltimore Orioles. It's Wait, here. what? He did? Oh, you're, you're just hearing about this? Oh, I miss it. No. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think that's totally fair. This is massive news. It's news that was has ex been expected for a while now, but there's only so many number one prospects in all of baseball. Uh, you know, I will ignore MLB Pipeline's decision to move Bobby Witt up to number yeah. one for a while there, but you know, there's only so many of them. Rutschman is that guy and he has been that guy for a couple of years. And now he plays for our favorite baseball team, which is uh, pretty cool. I, I don't know. I think this weekend has felt different. Like the Oriole fan base is kind of buzzing overall, but I don't know how you guys are, are feeling right now, Eli. <laughs> yeah, I fully agree. I, uh, I don't know if you saw us on Twitter this weekend, I was at Adley's debut. I, you know, I live in Florida in case, uh, you haven't picked that up yet. And I was in town to help my parents move. So it was very, very convenient. Um, I got, I got seats behind home plate. I ended up talking to Mike Bauman's mother right behind me. 
uh, I was across the aisle from Adley Rutschman's family. You know, Elias came down to hug them, to congratulate them on his first hit. And it was just, I don't know, it was so cool to just be there. And, you know, I didn't belong there at all with all these cool people. But, <laughs> um, you know, there was that, the vibes just in the park, you know, you can talk about whether he was called up in the right manner, day of the Preakness, all that stuff. It doesn't really matter. You know, like the almost 20,000 that were there, everybody was screaming anytime you saw Adley's face. You know, he got a standing ovation, whether he struck out, whether he walked, whether he hit the triple, whether he just walked out to the plate, you know, anything that happened, um, you know, Birdland was loving it. And that makes me love it. Obviously excited for Adley. And the Orioles team really just is not that bad right now. Uh, you know, we've had a couple exciting walk-off wins. Um, we hadn't had a walk-off home run in, what was it, three years. Yeah. And then we had two back-to-back. You just love it. Two back-to-back walk-off home runs, then the walk-off uh, right. dribbler past G-Man Choi, Jesse and Eli's favorite non-Oreo player in the league. We just learned before we started recording. Close, close. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Uh, yeah he's a fun guy he what what he hit the home run right-handed last year too didn't he do that that's right because <laughs> then and then anthony rendon did the opposite hit this left-handed year. this year yeah. yeah very cool um but yeah i mean i i did not get to a chance to go to the park but i know when i got i saw the hype video where you know he's here and i'm like oh my god it's because it just felt like the kind of thing that's of course it's gonna happen but every day that goes by, you're like, what is, what is going on? There's a disconnect. It felt like for a while between the fan base and the front office where it seemed evident that Adley was ready. The Orioles catchers this year have been horrific. The Orioles catchers last year were pretty terrible while Adley was crushing it in Norfolk. And it just, every day that went by, you're like, what is going on? Are we playing the service time game even to the the most insane degree at this point? I don't know. Maybe we can talk about that, but um I, I was I was all all about it watching from northeast Baltimore County, you know, 20 minutes outside the city. So um, I can only imagine what it felt like uh, there. But um, Jess, how how were things feeling from the Big Apple? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there wasn't the same excitement. Uh, although I will say, I was talking to a teacher a little while ago, and I said, "Oh, do you know this guy? You know, he's a Yankee fan." And I was like, oh, do you, have you heard of him? And he's like, oh, actually, you know, I saw that he had got called up. So, you know, there is a minor degree of buzz, maybe even around here. Or at least knowledge and insight uh, about Adley. Uh, yeah, I mean, soon he's going to be known, you know, everywhere across the country, um, not just out, you know, outside of Baltimore. Um, but uh, yeah, no, of course. I'm. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Tyler. I was going to say, I saw a tweet because you're talking about Yankees and, and stuff yeah. like that. There was a tweet from one of the Yankee beat writers that apparently Adley was a Yankees fan growing up. He's from Portland, Oregon. Uh, you know, the closest MLB team there is the Mariners. But apparently he liked Scott Brocious, uh, who is so also bad. from Oregon. Uh, and I looked at the quote retweets of that. And it's pretty much all Yankees fans saying, oh, he's a future Yankee. When does he hit free agency? Like, oh, can't wait to see him wearing pinstripes. And it just, you know, for the longest time, I've disliked the Red Sox fan base more than the Yankees fan base. But they're starting to turn the tide. Now that they're, like, good, I'm starting to be sick of the Yankees fan base to a, to a degree um, that I don't care to share on the podcast. But, yeah, I just want to let you know. 
real quick, the Yankees players and fan base talking about oh. the wall. Oh, yeah. That was just unbelievable. <laughs> it's like you play in a literal tin can. You, you know, like <laughs> that there was the fake Mullins quote going around the yes. internet. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> I could bunt it over that wall and there were some expletives thrown in. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, they play in this joke of a stadium where, I don't know, we saw the, you know, the Anthony Rizzo game where he had three home runs and uh, two of them would have been a home run in only that park or that and one other park in the MLB. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not listening I'm, to any I'm, any criticism. I'm very over the wall discourse at this point. Like everybody's like, they, nobody can hit a home run there anymore. It's way fewer home runs are getting hit there. It's like, yes, that was the entire point of it. <laughs> like, I don't know. Where's who, what don't you understand? They wanted fewer home runs to be hit. So right. I'm just, I'm very much over the, the discourse on the wall. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to. The Orioles pitchers are way better this year. And I mean, I don't think any, it's not a, it's a small part, but it's a part of why they are better. So, of course, you know, the other unobserved fact uh, is, well, I'm just (laughs) a little small point about that is the more unobserved fact than, than the less home runs being hit. They're also, yes, fewer home runs being hit. (laughs) Is that they're also, a more singles dropping in in front of right. the left fielder because they're playing deeper. So, um, yeah. And, I, and that's fair. And I think we have talked about that exact point. But anyway, we're talking about Adley Rutschman here. But right, yeah, right, so, right. but in any case, <laughs> uh, you know, of course, this is like beyond exciting, right? This is really kind of the marker, I think, uh, that Oriole fans were kind of looking forward to. Okay, now we're getting serious about being competitive, right? So, yes, we know we're not going to, you know, we know we're not going to have probably a winning season this year. And next year, you know, we're not playoff bound in all likelihood. But, uh, you know, it is the mark. Okay, Adley's up. Now there's a clock for the Orioles to start being contenders, right? And, uh, And if, you know, you know, he's up now. And it, you know, if in three years we haven't made the playoffs, Right. A lot of, you know, there's going to be basically it's the beginning of us being able to hold Mike Elias accountable and, and, uh, you know, being being able to, uh, you know, see uh, a winning teams, you know, begin to take form and, you know, just seeing him behind the plate, you know, you can already sort of just with, you know, the little that he's shown us, you can already see how, Okay, this is like the start of a good quality team, uh, Major League Baseball team. So, yeah, I, I think the point about the clock ticking is huge. I think this is it's go time now. Like, yeah, right. we can let Gray Rod uh, marinate a little longer. DL Hall's got some things to work on. You want to see Gunner play at AAA first, all that stuff. I think that's fine for 2022, but like it, t- opening day 2023 a lot of stuff has to change. And by the end of next season, like this roster is going to turn over in a, in a big way. And that needs to happen because Rutschman's 24 it will be 25 next year. Like these are the years they got to take advantage of it. They got to go. So yeah, I think we are, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in the next uh, two to three years, like you said, Jess. So it's, it's huge. It's absolutely massive. Um, uh, okay. So w- what are our expectations, I guess, for Rutschman, 
maybe in the immediate future, you know, clearly everybody has these, these hall of fame hopes and dreams for him, but like for 2022, Eli, you know, what do you want to see from Adley Rutschman? Yeah. So uh, the thing that I, and a lot of other people, you know, I'm not unique in this, but the thing that a lot of people have noticed is that he came up and immediately in the first game and the second game and the game I'm watching right now, you know, playing against the Yankees, the opener of that series, he's seeing pitches, you know, he clearly is not chasing on two strikes. He is going deep in counts. And, you know, we have known that throughout his time in the minors, he's been somebody who's been able to work a count, a high OBP guy, but seeing that, you know, in the first couple games when there's all this excitement going and him still being able to like lock in on his approach, stay patient at the dish, that's like what makes him so unbelievably incredible to me. And so as far as expectations, you know, it, I want to see him just from a standpoint of OBP. Oh my God. I just thought he hit it. He, he was up in this moment. He just hit a ball like out to right field. Yeah, it looked like a pretty swing. I freaked out. We're, we're watching during the uh, opening <laughs> game of the Yankees series or we're recording during the opening game of right. the Yankees series. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, to me, like, it, it's about the OBP. You know, he might not necessarily be able to get on plane with the ball as much. So the batting average, the slugging might suffer a little bit more uh, in this first taste of MLB, you know, like MLB pitching. But his ability to stay competitive in counts, keep working walks, doing what he's doing, um, and, like, maintaining that approach, that's really, you know, what impressed me off the bat and what hopefully continues for me so you know like if we see him with a 340 350 obp at the end of the year like that's an incredibly successful season pretty much regardless of the power numbers regardless of his hitting i mean obviously it's a part of hitting but the actual bat on ball hitting (laughs) um and i guess the other thing is you know they talk so much about his defense how well he works with pitchers Um, we can't really see anything about that right now, but it's obviously a young staff, you know, they brought him up, I think partially on Saturday because Bradish was pitching and it, you know, he's somebody that Adley has worked with a lot. Um, I also just want to say I coined the, like the couple's name Bradley for Bradish and Adley. And I think we should keep (laughs) working those in. Okay. So. (laughs) Uh, now i think that um seeing how he works with these pitchers is something that i'm really really excited about uh and starting to hear kind of the reviews from pitchers on how he works with them uh seeing his ability to block to throw runners out you know he is the complete package and i think uh locking in on his defense and on his ability to like maintain his approach at the plate are the two things i'm looking for for success this year yeah, Jess. Yeah, I mean, so the one thing in all of that that I was a little surprised you didn't mention was the pitch framing. <laughs> Since <laughs> you've been, that's been such like a highly touted part of his game, right? So um, I'm, of course, like really excited to, to see that. Um, as far as expectations go, yeah, I mean, as long as he continues to draw to draw walks and to work the count as much as he has been, I really don't have a problem even if he hits 200, uh, to be honest. Uh, you know, so, um, which I have no expectation that he actually will hit only 200, but, 
Um, you know, yeah, I'm I'm much more concerned uh, in general about the plate discipline and uh, and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, of course, with all catchers, you know, I want, of course, the defense to be his, you know, top priority. Hit him uh, and establishing uh, his relationships with the pitchers, finding out uh, how they work, you know, what makes them effective, um, what uh, what these pitchers like to resort to in jams or tough situations. Right. Um, figuring all these key minor small details about the pitchers. Um, and yeah, sharpening up his defense. I mean, of course his defense is great. Um, but just continuing to, um, to shine defensively, um, you know, throughout his major league, um, uh, throughout his first major league season. And yeah, offensively, I'm not as worried if, you know, if anything, I would like to see plate discipline, you know, I would like to see a few bombs here and there, but if, even if that doesn't happen, even if the home runs, and the power doesn't happen this year, um, or if he hits for a lower average than expected, I'm not going to be too worried about that. Yeah, I think everything you guys have said is, is totally fair. Um, I think he's a rookie. Yes, he's a super talented rookie. He's a rookie, though. I think you gotta you got to get adjusted to the offensive side of the game. We've seen some really talented young guys struggle already this year. Spencer Torkelson's not been great in Detroit. Bobby Witt Jr.'s not been great with Kansas City. If Adley struggles a little bit at the plate for a while, I'm not that worried. I want him to stay healthy. I want him to play good defense and get connected with the pitchers, like you said. I'm. I think that the talent is there. Like prospect analysis has is flawed in a lot of ways, but usually the consensus number one, number two, number three overall prospects in the world, they're pretty good. They figure it out and they become perennial all stars or somewhere thereabouts. He's going to figure stuff out. Um, so yeah, I just want to see him get acclimated and stay healthy, basically. And Spencer Torkelson, let me just say, is you know struggling offensively as a first baseman, right? So if uh, right. Uh, if Adley struggles offensively as a catcher, I mean, who has more of an excuse to struggle offensively, right? So <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, I, and that's you know that's a whole part of his. I think Keith Law in his like preseason top one hundred was like Rutschman's offensive. Uh, uh, like wh- whatever the word is his offensive uh profile. profile yeah that's what thank you would make him like a top 20 prospect if he was like an outfielder but the fact that he has that offensive profile and he's an elite defensive catcher that's what makes him the number one overall prospect so keep that in mind too like there might be guys that out hit adley but that doesn't mean that other guys will have more value than him necessarily I just got to say that as a collective, I think we took the boring answers and it, although we took the reasonable ones, I'm a little disappointed. Nobody's expecting 30 bombs in this three quarters of the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we didn't, nobody called for like MVP votes or right. <laughs> you know, a playoff push or anything like that. So it is a little bit underwhelming. That's for sure. Oh, well, I, well, if he gets rookie of the year, do you think Mike Elias is happy about that? Because then he'll get a full year of service time. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> an no. interesting question. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that Mike Elias is clapping on the in, outside and uh, grin, yeah. gritting his teeth on the inside. Yeah. Although, to be fair, 
you know, Michael Elias might not even be the GM when he hits free agency anyway. So maybe he's not even that worried about it. But I, I will say that I think, um, I don't know. I think it's going to be a high priority to extend Adley. It, and because we are pulling him up so late, you know, you think he's 24 now and right. it would be six years, but we manipulated his service time. So he's going to be 31 years old. Right. when he hits free agency, I, I, you know, it might be not might be, it is by design. He's probably more susceptible to an extension, you know, like to giving in and taking an extension because of the fact that as a 31 year old catcher, you're probably not getting six year offers even, you know? So it, you know, we might be able to lock him up on a 10, 11 year contract and then we don't have to worry about it. You know, to that point, right, I, I really hope I mean, I, I get, you know, w- you know, maybe you wait a year to s- just, you know, verify, I guess, that Adley is actually legit. Um, I mean, I don't have any doubts about that, but from a front office perspective, you know, maybe there are a couple check marks you want him, you know, boxes you want him to check before you work on extending him. But absolutely. I mean, I think, you know these once in a generation talents, um, you know, we were saying it when we had Machado, right. That, I mean, it's terrible that the Orioles let Machado go and did not make him an all time career Oriole. Right. And of course, during that time, there was a whole bunch of discussion about Manny having said they didn't even approach me about an extension, which is just criminal, honestly. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, as far as the front office goes, I agree with you completely, Eli, that, you know, this should be a, you know, maybe not this year, maybe not even next year, but, you know, definitely, you know, barring some catastrophic injury or something, you know, uh, within the next couple of years, it should be a top priority, the Orioles, to extend him and lock him up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um and the Machado comparison is a good one. I mean, you know, it's different, different offensive, you know, skill sets and all that stuff, but yeah, no, I think that uh, I've made a prediction at Camden chat. They had us asked us for like a wild prediction of the year. My prediction was that the Orioles will sign someone to a significant extension. I didn't commit to who it was, but Rutschman, I could also see Rodriguez if they get him up here and they're like, all right, he's got it let's lock them up for a decade. Um, Cause I mean, a top level pitcher, I, as good as a great defensive and offensive catcher is the Orioles have just never had that kind of pitcher (laughs) since I've watched baseball. Um, So that would just be incredible, but yeah, I would be all about that. So is your prediction regarding like only people who are prospects graduating this year, or does it include like the Mullinses and Hayes of the world? I, yeah, I didn't commit to any one player. I did, I mentioned by name, because remember this was preseason. I committed, I mentioned uh, Rutschman, Rodriguez, and I think John Means at the time. Mm. Um, obviously That's John, looking a little less likely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they signed him to a two-year deal. That's right. So yeah, just got the two-year arbitration. <laughs> but deal. I, I think I did stipulate that I, I can, would consider it significant only if they bought out free agent years so which i think is a reasonable caveat so i didn't meet that just yet 
Um, okay, well, before we move out of the Adley portion, do we want to talk about the call up, like the timing of the call up? Because that was a hot topic on Twitter. Eli, you were on the fence about discussing it, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess the thing to say is it, it can be true that the Orioles could have handled it better and simultaneously true that at this point, who cares? Adley's up and he's on the team and right. it should all just be happy now. You know, like the Orioles yeah. have been playing some exciting ball. Even Rugnet Odor is performing, you know. Hey, man. What the heck? What the heck? Why you are you know, coming like, for Rugnet Odor? Right. I, I mean, I love Rugi, but he traditionally has not been a great baseball player. Well, in recent in recent years, yeah, okay, in the last yeah, some of those Rangers years were quite good, right? Very to a huge deal, then he got very bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, so, I, yeah, they they brought Adley up on Preakness Day. They told folks at eight in the morning, you know, before the night game, and we filled less than half the stadium. So, could you argue that? It could have been hyped up a little better and handled better. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I would have loved to have seen 42,000 or something like that packed in and screaming and et cetera for Adley's debut. We didn't have that, but we had a very, very passionate, smaller group of fans. So it, there's a lot of good to come out of it, and you can't complain too much. A small vocal uh, group of people. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you, I mean, do you think that Michael Ice was playing 4D chess with all of it and saying like, okay, I want less pressure on Adley, so we're going to do it Preakness Day, we're going to announce the day of, and also I want to make sure it's 95 effing degrees in downtown oh. Baltimore. <laughs> so nobody wants to sit out in a stadium. For you know, I was hours. like partially with you for the first part, but then I was like, <laughs> I don't know, they wouldn't be testing his stamina. They want to baby him as much as possible. <laughs> so the yeah. 95 degrees probably wasn't a factor. Yeah, I mean, I think I've kind of bought into like they had some not arbitrary, but they had um, some sort of hurdle they wanted Adley to cross, which, according to Elias, was catching three days in a row. Although I think he did that last year one time. I looked at like the game logs and caught right. he, he caught three consecutive days, not not consecutive games, but days once last year. So, and they've already had him DH twice in three games. He's DH twice and caught once. I don't think he's going to play. He's not going to catch three days in a row all that often. So I think it's a little bit of a ridiculous perspective. He was maybe going to be the opening day catcher. And now, oh, we've got to build him up for three or four weeks in the minor leagues. I, I don't know. I, I think it was exaggerated, but I think it was something that they could point to. And the timeline just worked out for them yeah you know i don't know i don't yeah they got the extra year of service time they, <laughs> right. he's he's probably going to be a super two although it's not guaranteed he's here let's be happy um right and at the same time we're pro pro worker pro player and uh it's also ridiculous that he's going to be suppressed his wages will be suppressed for so long we'll just say that <laughs> I, I mean look, uh, yeah i mean and to that point just the fact that you were saying you know he's going to be a free agent catcher at 31 i mean right you know where is the Tough. justice in that where is you know let alone he's playing the most important position you know but from a monetary perspective it's you know the worst way you could go probably so 
Yeah, let's hey, let's root for him to win rookie of the year and make him a free agent catcher at age That's... 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huge um, difference between 30 and 31. <laughs> yeah, it's massive. Um but yeah, I mean, so that's the Adley portion of the show. There will probably be Adley portions of most shows for the rest of the season. Because um, this is the most important thing that's happened in Baltimore, period, for years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. But um, yeah, all right. So let's let's move away from Adley and talk about a couple of things. We'll kind of go through these pretty fast um, because we're already running a little bit long here. But um, the first thing we've got on here is some of the bullpen movement. Um, you know, the Orioles bullpen continues to be really solid. I think as we're recording, uh, they're doing a nice job. I'm not going to say anything else. They're doing a nice job in this game. Um, they had a huge game on Sunday where Spencer Watkins didn't record a single out because he got hit um, with a, a comebacker and the bullpen had to kind of bite the bullet and the Orioles ended up winning the game. So yeah, there's been a lot of movement though, because of that. And um, also the current run of games without an off day Um Eli, do you kind of want to run through what's been going on there and maybe just your thoughts on, on the handling of the bullpen by the uh, organization? Yeah, I, I guess what I was, uh, I, I mean, the thought, the part of it that I thought was interesting was, you know, we've got this really solid core. We've got Lopez, Bautista, Tate, Baker, Kreibel, Cino Perez. Um, but outside of that, we've got a couple open slots that have just been rotating through very, very consistently. And there's been a lot of churn in the last couple of days. Um, I think that Tyler, what you mentioned about us being in this really long stretch of games without an off day, that is definitely a part of it. And I think that, you know, sending Tyler Nevin down today and sending Mike Bauman down today and getting a couple of fresh arms into the pen was explicitly a result of that bullpen game yesterday. Um, but, you, you know, it does bear some questioning. We brought up Nick Vespi. He balls out for two innings, gets his, you know, gets his win, and then gets sent down. Logan Gillespie had two solid innings and got sent down. Um, Gillespie came back up today with Marcos Duplan. But then you can say Bauman was optioned at the, be- at the beginning of the year. We called him up, optioned him again, called him up, <laughs> optioned him again. Uh, right. And there's a lot of up and down for many of these guys. And granted, you know, we, after the mainstays in the bullpen, I think we've probably only got really two slots left, but you've got Bauman, Gillespie, Vespi, Deplan, and even Bo Solcer, who also came up today, all competing for those spots. So I don't know. I guess I was just looking at how, how are you guys liking the way that they are handling the bullpen, rotating these guys in? Uh, do you have any qualms with it? Um, I mean, my, my thought I is mean, like, oh, you want to go, Jess? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, my thought on it is I think that this is just sort of the life of a major league relief pitcher um, where you get called up, you get sent down until you become sort of part of that core of three or four guys in a bullpen typically. I mean, maybe sometimes it's a little bit deeper than that. Um, but I think also part of it is the Orioles are kind of just throwing everything at the wall this year in terms of the pitching and it, and it's working out so far, but I think this is kind of like the show me year on let's figure out what everybody can do. And we're learning stuff. I think Keegan Aiken is a good multi-inning relief pitcher. I did not even mention him. Yeah. He's been phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> phenomenal. Like out of nowhere, 
he won't be able to pitch in Toronto for um, reasons, <laughs> but uh, he's figuring out that role and he's really good at it. I think Jorge Lopez is, we've learned he's a good relief pitcher, uh, which, you know, was speculated for a long time. Um, but we're, we're figuring that out. So I think that this is fine. And I think this is how you go about building a bullpen is just sort of rocking with who's hot because next week or next year, they might not be, we're going to talk about a guy here in a little bit that was pretty good a couple of years ago. And now he's not in the organization anymore. Um, so I think the handling of the bullpen is pretty good right now. Uh, Hyde tries to stay away from guys three days in a row. Um, he's, but like none of our pitchers are one inning and done. Like all of them go multiple innings. Sometimes, sometimes they right. go two thirds of an inning. Like it's a super flexible uh, group mm-hmm. and it's kind of awesome. And, you know, I don't know if any of them are going to be good long-term who knows with relievers, but I don't really know how much better they could be managing it because they're one of the best bullpens in baseball out of, <laughs> out of nowhere. So, yeah. So the, does having so many people competing for those couple spots, does that increase the likelihood of trading an arm or two at the deadline? Um, I mean, you know, if you look at the arms and, and the team control they have, I don't know who you really move. Maybe Lopez. Uh, but it's a weird group because other teams are going to say, well, yeah, the numbers are good and the, and the, you know, advanced metrics are good, but he's only been doing it for three months. Right. So like, what am I going to give you for that? And from yours perspective, well, why are we going to give up an intriguing arm for an 18 year old in low a who we don't know anything about? Yeah. So no arguments I, at all. I, yeah. I think I could see Lopez going potentially. Um, but I don't really know who else kind of fits the profile for the type of pitcher that gets moved at the deadline. I'm not sure, Tyler. I mean, I could see, uh, you know, I mean, he's a back end bullpen piece, you know, if he is that right, if he is the Orioles closer for the the remaining months before the deadline. Um, I mean, I could see a team definitely, you know, saying, Hey, he's pitching well right now. We're making a playoff push. This is a guy that throws 99 with movement. You know, we're going to we're going to go get him. You know, you're I, talking about Lopez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Sorry. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I could see something like that coming together. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I, I agree. I think it is possible because he's like he's going on 30. Um, He's got no options left. Right. Done enough. He's kicked around the league enough that I think obviously other teams have seen have thought he's an intriguing arm. So, yeah, I think that is definitely possible. I think he's probably the only one. Perez also has no options left, but he's a little younger um, and less of a track record. So, um, yeah, I mean, it it won't – I won't be upset if Jorge Lopez is traded. Like, I like him. I've liked him as a bullpen type for a while. I thought that's a a role that made a lot of sense for him. But he's also not – I don't think he's an absolute elite relief pitcher. He's just been really good this year. And – I think that's part of how you probably replenish your roster with talent is you trade guys that are hot that maybe aren't going to be hot forever. You capitalize on them and you turn the guys you get back into those players in the future. The the one thing, uh, you know, just to address your point, Eli, uh, about this bullpen is I think the Orioles have, you know, masterfully kind of been able to right rotate guys and then pitch guys in the right at the right moments, et cetera. 
Um, and they've been doing a great job with that. And yes, you know, there is a lot of talent in the bullpen for the Orioles right now, just generally. Um, I think that this current formula with the starting pitching, pitching as poorly and as, you know, not deep enough into games that it's currently doing, um, it's not going to be a sustainable formula for the long term. I don't think the Orioles can really keep up this juggling act the entire year. Um, but for right now, it's clearly working. So, Well, what I will say, I mean, the rotation theoretically should get better. Right. Right. Grayson Rodriguez should be up at some point. Now, they're going to watch his innings. He's not going to come up and throw seven innings every time, but he's probably going to be – he's going to be better than what Spencer Watkins does every fifth day. You know? <laughs> um, so that that's something. Deal Hall, you know – He'll be up too. I think he's going to be an interesting one. I, I, I don't, I, I'm more confident now that Rodriguez can step into the rotation and be that guy every fifth day hall. I think they need to watch a little bit because he's much more of a question mark. Yeah. Yeah, He's wild. He, and then, you know, it gets to where like, we can't, you can't just keep walking guys on, on the big league mound. You need to get out and figure it out and we got to move on with the day. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I love the bullpen. I love the flexibility, but you're right, Jesse. It's the the balance between rotation and uh, bullpen uh, in terms of workload is not going to work for 162 games. Correct. Um, all right, well, let's talk. You talked about Tyler Nevin getting sent down, uh, Eli, and he gets sent down while there's a certain somebody still on the <laughs> roster that has become like the bane of Orioles Twitter, and that's Chris Owings. Um he plays a lot. He plays a lot of innings. They move him around the diamond a little bit. It really doesn't matter where he plays, though, because he's not been very good. Um, as, before the game today, he had a WRC plus of 53, and he was batting 140. Um, you know, batting average isn't everything, but um, he also has no power with that average. So it's not been great for Chris Owings. So, Eli, what's your read on the situation? Why do you think Chris Owings is still here? Hey. It's really, <laughs> it, it's pretty mind-blowing to me. Uh, you know, we had the rough stretch with injuries uh, where Mountcastle was out, Hayes was out, uh, Mateo was hurt. And, you know, we had a thin bench and his versatility was great right then. But, you know, we've, we've got people who can do everything that he does at AAA. And so, you, you know, it if they really think that there's development that needs to happen for the Richie Martins, the Ryland Bannons, the whatever's of the world, I get that. And we've got a couple people hurt, but I, you know, I really, I would rather have Kelvin Gutierrez on this roster. I would rather add him back to the 40 man DFA, Chris Owings and, you know, operate with that and let, Aria slide over to second or, you know, bounce around a little bit more like Gutierrez slide in at third when you want to get Odor a day off or whatever. Um, I, the versatility that Owings has, which is the thing that's been preached about him from day one, I think we already have that in everyone else, right? Odor can slide over to third, even if he doesn't like it. Mateo can play all three positions. Odias can play all three positions. It, it really just, I, I don't understand it. And you know, I think they looked at Tyler Nevin and they said, we need some arms today. And Tyler Nevin has options and Chris Owings does not. So Nevin got sent down 
and we'll be able to bring him back up. And that's like, you know, a temporary solution. Whereas sending Chris Owings, you know, through the waiver wire and everything, trying to get him to AAA definitely is a permanent solution, but he's just been so bad that I, I still would prefer that. And Nevin's actually had a pretty good week this last week. And I would prefer to leave him up on this roster and let him keep building on that. I really just, I'm not understanding why we're so attached to Chris Owings. What we're expecting could actually change with him at this point. Yeah. Jess, your read. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing I'll say, right. Uh, is it's really interesting how your perspective on what, you know, a little more than a month of the season uh, means and how you assess that for different players. Right. So, you know, as I think we're about to talk about Mateo in a little while, you know, he's not hitting great, right? Uh, although, let me just say, he's hitting much better than Chris Ellings. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, although he's not hitting great, right, I'm going to, you know, part of my, I'm going to somewhat defend him here. And I'm going to say, you know, it's only been a little more than a month, right? But when you have a guy like Chris <laughs> Ellings, who you knew before the season wasn't going to hit for the team. And now it's been 30, you know, a little more than 30 games or whatever. Right. And he's not hitting right. Your perspective and just how you think about that 30 plus games or whatever. And granted, he's probably not even played 30 games because he doesn't play much. Right. Um, But in kind of your perspective and how you think about that sample size with someone like Owings, right, is more infuriating. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, I, I'm kind of with Eli. Like, I think the infield has enough depth where we're not in a desperate enough situation to hold on to Owings. We still have Rugnit Odor, who, you know, uh, basically provides, I think, more value than Owings does just holistically, um, I'm, you know, I actually am, you know, starting to like Odor on the team a bit, but, um, you know, so in any case, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know why, you know, Odor is a veteran, you know, I don't think we need a worse version, you know, a clearly worse version of Odor on the team, you know, especially when we're really not struggling for infield depth at this point, we have, reasonable alternatives where we really don't need Owings on the team. So I'm right with Eli that, yeah, uh, I mean, um, you just, I, I just don't see a path where he's going to turn it around and he's really going to start raking, right? If he, if he did at the plate, you know, that would be a different situation, but I don't see that happening. Historically, his track record demonstrates that, you know, he's not a great hitter. So, yeah, I just I don't get why the Orioles are holding on to him. And I I was, you know, it's arguable he shouldn't have even been on the opening day roster to begin with. So, yeah. And the other thing to say is he hasn't even been that great defensively. I mean, you know, we've put him in all over the place and he's actually kind of struggled. He had an error in today's game. You know, Mountcastle just tossed the ball to him at short. He's playing short for us today in this Yankees game. And Mountcastle fields a ground ball, tries to turn a double play, and it just bounces off of Owings' glove. It, you, you know, it's not like he's been this incredibly reliable utility defender. He's just somebody 
I don't know, somebody tweeted out today. They said, well, at least Chris Owens can be bad at every position or something like that, you know? Uh, he just, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really, I'm struggling to understand it. I think the Orioles are trying to maintain flexibility, but it's like flexibility that we don't need to maintain. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I can think that makes sense is that they want somebody else on the roster that they have confidence can play shortstop. And I know Urias can play shortstop, but he played it last year. And then he had the whole thing where like his leg hurt and he could play second base, but he couldn't play shortstop. And I think he's struggled a little bit at shortstop at times. He's not the best of fielders. I'm not saying Owings is good at shortstop either, but I'm trying to get my head around why (laughs) they want him on the roster. And he's basically the only guy on the 40 man roster beyond uh, Mateo. If you don't think Urias can play short, that can play short. Uh, Bannon can't. Jamai Jones cannot. Richie Martin is not on the 40 man, but he could come up. But Richie Martin has really struggled in the big leagues every single time he's come up. So, like, I know that that sounds like some people on Twitter I've seen a lot is like, just call up Richie Martin. Richie Martin is not good. Like he could, he might be having a nice season at Norfolk and that's great. But like, we know, we know what Richie Martin is. So I just think that Chris Owings is here for the moment. And, you know, maybe well, Taryn Vavra can't play shortstop either, but I don't know. So I, that, that's the only thing I can think is they want another guy on the roster. They feel confident can play shortstop. And clearly they don't feel that way about Ramon Urias is all I can think, even though I think he's played short a little bit this year, but that can be the only reason that they have him on the roster because yeah, he's not producing. He's not playing really very good defense, but Mateo, you can't play Mateo every single day. um, Just because that's just not how the game's played. You don't play a guy every single day anymore. So that's my only thought. And we're also in the, again, in the middle of a, a run of a lot of games, no off day. You can give somebody a breather by putting Chris Owings in for nine innings instead of that person. That's my read. Yeah. I, I guess to me, like, I'm looking at Richie Martin. I'm just looking at his career stats. In the MLB, he's had a 53 OPS plus. <laughs> uh, I'm not looking at fan graphs. So I can't see weighted runs created plus. But, you know, they're both supposed to be, like, offensive production normalized to 100. So if they're both 53, it'll be at different stats. Like, they're both about half of a major league hitter. And Richie Martin is younger, could potentially develop, and can play shortstop, which we have realized. His glove had struggled a tiny bit on the first go, but by and large, when we saw him last year, he was solid in the field. So I I definitely, while I agree, you know, I would rather have Richie Martin, who's, I guess, 26, 27 years old, and rather than Chris Owings, who's 31 or something. It, it, that's just where I'm at, you know, and the, you know, while Richie Martin is not on the 40 man, the transaction is one for one owns goes Richie Martin comes up. And then you've got, you know, a mildly interesting former top prospect who, you know, could theoretically develop into something a little bit better than what he was, as opposed to a 31 year old who, you know, is just what he is. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I hear where you're coming from. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't mention here, but there have been some injuries down on the minors with a lot of the guys that could potentially fill the role. 
So that could be another element of it. And there could be, you know, there could be minor injuries and all that stuff on the major league roster that we don't really know about day to day. Sometimes they keep that stuff hush hush. And if they would rather, rather have a 100% Chris Owings than a 60% Jorge Mateo on a certain right. day, like that's their calculation. They have to make that we're not going to be able to make any conclusions about. Yeah. The, the one, the other thing I can say is that uh, there were a bunch of minor league promotions as well uh, today. And so we now have Cesar Prieto, Joey Ortiz, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, Adam Hall. And I think there's one more, like pretty much every top shortstop in our system <laughs> is right. playing at Bowie right now. And I think it stands to reason that within the next couple of weeks, a couple of those folks will get promoted. You know, Westberg is breaking out of his slump and I think he's probably the most mature prospect and the one who will make the jump to Norfolk first. It, you know, if Westberg bumps up, then potentially, right. you, you know, some of that playing time goes to him and it makes sense to promote one of these quad A guys at Norfolk that we're talking about here in this conversation. Um, so I could see Chris Owings, you know, holding onto a spot for another couple of weeks until that time comes. But, you know, if he's still here in a month, I just have no idea what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. And, and the, the, the draft will be a big moment for that because that typically is when like Delmarva gets most of their players and that pushes everything um, and gets things in motion. So, yeah, that's a good point. Right. Um, let's talk Jorge Mateo for just a quick second. We have a note here just to kind of mention that he's kind of in this world of online opinion where some people love him and think he's like the Orioles shortstop for the foreseeable future. Probably not reality, but there's other people that like get frustrated with him because I guess probably the brand of baseball he plays where he does the thing where he gets to balls and then sometimes makes a mistake because he got to a ball that was really difficult to get to. And he's not a great hitter, even though he was, he was pretty good last year. He's slumped a little bit this year. So Jess, I feel like Mateo is one of the guys you seem to really enjoy watching you just want to kind of maybe give your your thoughts on Jorge Mateo as the Orioles shortstop, maybe kind of what you're seeing from him and where you view him with the Orioles uh, going forward? Yeah, um, I mean, ultimately, right, I, I think it's reasonable that his most likely outcome is that he winds up being a utility guy um, for the Orioles. I mean, he he's really... I mean, he probably has more value than what most utility players have um, because he has all these different skill sets, right? Um, he could be a defensive replacement. He can play multiple positions. He can pinch run. He can, you know, he's not a great hitter, but, you know, if there is a worse hitter uh, coming up in the lineup, he, of course, could pinch hit, right? So, um, you know, I mean, there are just so many things um about him that you like uh you know i mean at least for me as i'm watching him um you know uh so uh yeah and and defensively this year i mean right it was funny uh yeah because i i made this the beginning of this outline and i said he's been shining its shortstop and then uh you know that day he made two throwing errors right um so uh a little bit of irony there but yeah uh I mean, yeah, so I, I but overall, I mean, I think that, he, you know, I still maintain uh, that, you know, he's a really solid piece. Um, he's a guy at a bare minimum, minimum you want to have in the organization. Right. Um, but definitely, I mean, I think he's definitely capable of being 
on a major league team uh, and being on, you know, the Orioles major league roster, um, he'll probably, you know, I think he'll hold the shortstop position down for this year. Um, and, you know, he'll be given a full trial run and a full assessment. Um, and, you know, of course, the, the question uh, I think really for him is, you know, is he going to hit enough? And is he going to be just a little more steadier defensively? Um, you're right. He makes errors because he like got to a ball and his range looks great. He, I mean, he's made some spectacular defensive plays already this year going into the outfield, you know, um, you know, back, uh, you know, just done so much defensively um, for the Orioles. And, you know, I think a lot of the Orioles success uh, from pitching perspective, you know, can be, you know, attributed to him, um, you know, as well as some other other defenders we have. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, I think, yeah, he's, he's, he has the job this year. Um, and yeah, there might come a time when there's just a better option, right? If Gunnar Henderson ends up being a shortstop, right. Um, you know, there may just be a better option, right. That ends up happening. Um, but you know, right now, um, yeah, I mean, let's just see, you know, how well this guy can hit. And uh, if he can make some adjustments defensively. Yeah. Eli, do you have any kind of anything to add to that? Jesse, that was pretty comprehensive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I actually am going to kind of rebuke the idea that he's struggled at all defensively. On baseball savant, Jorge Mateo's outs above average is in the 81st percentile. Um, that is like really, really elite defense. And if you ask anyone whether Cedric Mullins is a good defender, everybody would say yes. They'd say his arm is a little weak, but he's got a lot of range. He's a good defender in center field. Cedric Mullins is in the 37th percentile, right? So, I mean, Mateo's speed, his range, like Jesse said, you, you know, like we see him, the, the play on Saturday where the entire outfield is shifted towards right field. There's a bloop that's going to drop probably for a double in left field. And he just starts sprinting and he just takes off. <laughs> I think Dan Connolly tweeted out Jorge Mateo just tracked that ball down from Bethesda or something like that. I mean, the dude's got this incredible range. And even if he does make an error or two more. I, it it know, really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Well, right. I, I mean, yeah. if you have somebody else out there, it's a hit. Right. So it's the, you know, in effect, it's the exact same thing. It's just that the ball is laying five feet, you know, beyond the infield and the outfield grass, or it's the left fielder picking it up. Like it, you know, either way, there's a guy on first base and we didn't get an out. So I'm going to, every time I'm going to take the guy who has a chance at making that play, every time I'm going to take that guy. Now, as to his bat, you know, last year we, it, we, saw some pretty promising things from the bat. I, I, I noticed like one somewhat concerning trend. And I think this also partially gives me hope that he can turn it around. So in 2020, when he had gotten some time with the Padres, he swung at the first pitch about 25% of the time. In 2021 with us last year, about 27% of the time. This year, he's swinging at the first pitch about 38% of the time. And, you know, that tells me that the approach isn't that sound right now. 
that tells me that maybe he's not seeing the ball that well at the moment. But last year, when we did expect some better results, you know, or when we were getting some better results, he had a little bit more of a patient approach. And that tells me that, you know, we can tweak the mindset a little bit and maybe get back to it. All that said, on again, on Baseball Savant, like his ex-WOBA, his expected slugging, both of those have gone up this year. And so, you know, he's not making terrible contact. Um, you know, he's still below league average and like average exit velocity, et cetera, et cetera, and definitely below league average. Um, but, you, you know, I, I think there are reasons to believe that the bat can come around a little bit. And I think that having his speed out there is such an underrated thing at shortstop. Um, you, you know, I like, I put my name behind Jorge Mateo as a MLB shortstop and a legitimate one at that. I, I think he really makes some incredibly difficult plays. And uh, I, I don't know, you know, if he does turn into utility infielder, then he's an extremely valuable one. But to me right now, there's no reason that anybody should really get any significant time at shortstop this year and really into next besides Jorge Mateo. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that last point, I, I have to think about that. I, mean, I think in the next, I think Gunnar Henderson's going to force the issue in spring a little bit. I, I would be, cause I think he's going to get to triple a this year and then it's going to be a whole conversation in the spring, but I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're I, saying. Yeah. But I don't know. I might bring Gunnar up and start on the third base. Yeah. And that's, that's totally possible. I, yeah. Um, like, I, I don't think I'll just, I don't think he'll have that range and, you know, you can ease him in at a slightly, easier position is all I'm saying. Yeah. And people do think Gunner at third base could have like elite defense. And then all of a sudden you've got a really, really good left side of the infield. But um, yeah, I mean, I think Mateo, although he doesn't play shortstop in the way that like an old school shortstop would play, you know, where they've kind of like the JJ Hardy style, where you position yourself, you get to the every ball, you make the nice throw, whatever. He doesn't play it that way. He is effective over there. Um, and in that, in the way that the old school shortstop is uh, offensively, you it lacks a little bit. But I don't think that's necessarily an issue. I think that shortstop and often catcher and sometimes center field are positions where defense is more important, and what you get offensively is a bonus. Um, that's definitely changed in the modern game. But I'm perfectly fine having a really good defender at shortstop. And you find the offense somewhere else at third or first or the corner outfield spots. Um, yeah. So, if he, if he hits two sixty and hits 15 or yeah. 20 home runs, that's, that's fine. You know? Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know if he'd get to 15 or 20, but I think he could be like uh, a 10 to 12 kind of home run guy. Um, but no, I think that's fine. And I think that this is the, the thing is he doesn't need to be a long-term starter to the position. This is the exact kind of guy the Orioles need to claim off, claim off waivers when they can. A former big-time prospect, obvious athleticism and speed. He's the second fastest player in the sport behind Bobby Witt Jr. Um, yeah, and you just see what you can do with the pure athleticism. And I think that this is an ideal utility infielder who can come in late in games to be a defensive replacement, to pinch run, maybe like Jesse said, to bat for your backup catcher or whatever, if they're in the lineup that day, like <laughs> he's an awesome skill set to have on a roster. So 
I like Jorge Mateo a whole lot. And I think there's definitely a chance that he sticks on this team in some capacity for a while now. Um, I, I, you know, and, and I, I, the other thing I do want to say is like, you know, I also wonder, I, you know, I don't want to just immediately be relegating him to like a utility infield position. Right. So, um, I mean, you know, he'd be a superstar utility infielder, right. An absolute superstar. Um, but you know, there might be another way, you know, the Orioles can, you know, maximize his value basically. And I mean, he's such, you know, of course he's, uh, you know, he's so athletic, you know, he could just turn into a Ben Zobris type where, okay, look, you know, he's not going to be our everyday shortstop, but, you know, because we have another, a Gunnar Henderson, or we have somebody else in the position for X, Y, or Z reason, but, you know, he's just going to be like Ben Zobris. So one day he's going to start for us in left field, you know, the next day he's going to go play third base for us. Right. And you rotate his bat into the lineup that way, right? Um, so, I mean, and, and you know, Ben Zobris was kind of a utility guy, but you know, he played way more than like most utility guys, you know, would play, right? So that's why I'm not really putting right. Zobris in that category. So, I mean, I that's mean, an that's another possibility for him. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Zobris was an everyday player that played a different position most days but he was like a clear like starter yeah got starter really good hitter i think i think with mateo my perspective is like put him in in a position where he can succeed and he's not the best hitter but he steals bags he steals the bags with efficiency he's only gotten thrown out once this year and he's stolen 11 bags usually if you're above 75 percent, you're in the money at that point he's well right. above he's at whatever 90 some percent um so just put him in a position to succeed you you put him in there in the seventh inning as a defensive replacement, or you put him in there as a pinch runner early because you know, he can hold his own offensively enough and you just get as many defensive innings as you can. And, but that's, that's the future for now. He's the everyday shortstop for this team. And there's like, there's no question about that. You know? So just one last note, according to baseball reference, he's got 0.9 war so far this season. Right. And you know, we're just over a quarter of the way through the season. So if this dude is tracking to be a three and a half, four win player this year, you, I, I, I don't know, I guess for concept, for context, a starting player in the ML, like an everyday starting player is supposed to be between two and three war. So if he's three and a half, four, you know, he's 33, it to like 33 to whatever percent better. I can't math. Um, <laughs> you know, he's a highly productive everyday player, even with the poor batting and good defense that he's showing right now. Right. For sure. And we just have to see it over the long term. Um, and that's exactly what the season is about. And he's got every opportunity to do it because I don't see the Orioles pushing him uh, like a, an internal pressure to get him off of shortstop this year. Um, so yeah, I think we see what he can do this year and, uh, we kind of come out at the end. Um, so yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, two quick notes to end up here in, on the pitching side of things. Since we last recorded, this is probably old news. Well, this is definitely old news by now. Uh, but the Orioles have traded, uh, Paul Fry to the Arizona Diamondbacks. They got back a teenage, uh, I think outfielder or pitcher. I'm not sure. Pitcher, uh, pitcher uh, Venezuelan guy. Uh, we don't really know too much about him, but you know, 
that's the return for Paul Fry, which is not a huge return. But um, Eli, are you happy with this trade? Uh, yeah. The biggest thing that it did for me was it cleared space for those guys that we talked about. You know, all the arms in AAA that need to get up and get into our bullpen. It cleared a spot that was taken up and he had not been very effective. So if the Diamondbacks think they can fix him, yeah. have at it and we will uh, take a young arm to see what we can do with. Yeah, I mean, they, the Orioles gave him a couple chances. He pitched in 12 games this year for him, uh, had an ERA of six, although that's not totally fair. He pitched better than that because his strikeouts were okay. He just was walking too many guys and was wild. And, you know, it's there's just too many pitchers for not enough spots, and uh, you move on. Jess, uh, any thoughts on the end of the Paul Fry era? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, one, I want, I guess, people to remember, I guess, just how long he was with us and, you know, what a crucial role for a while. I mean, obviously, we weren't competitive for most of the Paul Fry <laughs> era, but, um, you know, he did play like a very important role in the bullpen for like, you know, the manager, um, you know, for Showalter and for uh, Hyde. Right. So. Um, so there's that. Uh, I mean, the one thing is, I, I will say, like everything that's happened, you know, is rather uh, I would say it's rather frustrating. Right. Just because we did not trade him at the previous deadline. And it's kind of a situation where, you know, I'm sure, of course, I'm not Michael Elias. I don't know specifically what offers he got, but I could imagine the offers he was getting for Paul Fry. And then just, you know, a few months later, right, I guess you hold on to him because you think, well, he's a really valuable piece and they're not giving us what, you know, he's worth or whatever, you know, they're cutting us short a prospect or, or whatever is happening. Right. But then, you know, just a few months later, he goes through a struggle and then you, you, you trade him for almost not, you know, not nothing. Like he's an, obviously if Elias and the Orioles are interested in him, you know, I'm sure I'm interested in him too. Right. But, um, you know, it's it's clearly less value than the Orioles would have gotten had we traded him, you know, at the previous deadline. Um, so it's kind of frustrating, you know, and he was DFA'd first, right? So that just kind of, you know, demonstrates, you know, after you DFA, you know, you're you're putting yourself in a box as far as the trade market goes, you know. Um, you you're basically not really committed to getting anything particularly valuable you know what i'm saying so um so it's very frustrating that you know the orioles probably set the bar to a little too high weren't able to be flexible uh in considering you know his market value at the time and then here we are just a little while later you know and he goes through a struggle which is not unexpected because he went through a struggle last year at the end of the you know so you know we know he goes with these ups and downs so you know it's just frustrating that you know now we're walking away with very little relative to what his return probably could have been at the previous trade deadline so yeah for sure no it's it's definitely a good reminder of that that's why i said about lopez earlier on like if you think he's hot right now and somebody wants to pay a price that you think is, is a good deal, um, pull the trigger because relievers are just, they're just volatile by nature. Um, and yeah, and one last thing is Matt Harvey. Uh, the Orioles signed him to a minor league contract. I think right before the season started, he's been working out. 
um, down in Florida. Uh, and it was just reported this week, um, as expected, he's been suspended 60 games for violating um, the league's substance policy. Uh, he had testified in the Tyler Skaggs case. Tyler Skaggs had died from an opioid overdose a couple of years ago when he was with the Angels. Matt Harvey was with the Angels at the time. And Harvey had testified basically that he had at some point in time uh, supplied Tyler Skaggs with opioids um, and that he wouldn't he didn't get charged or face any penalty legally for that. Uh, but the league is allowed to do what they think is permissible and they have suspended him for 60 games. Uh, that is running right now. Um, he'll be eligible, I think, probably at the end of June or early July. Um, but what do you guys think about this uh, with Harvey? It's, it's like I said, it was expected. Mike Elias made some comments that they were prepared for it as well. But Eli, um, what do you think about uh, the Harvey signing um, for the Orioles? Yeah, we, we had talked about it once on the pod, but this just kind of reinforces, I, you know, I'm at a point where I just don't fully understand why uh, the Orioles felt he was the guy to go to, you know, he's a little bit of a PR hit. Uh, and, and I, the number that was in my head was that he had supplied supplied Skaggs with opioids two days before he died. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and apparently they were all passing him back and forth. It was a pretty common thing in the clubhouse and it was not just Harvey that right. said, it, you know, it, it's a, it's a tough thing to swallow and you, you know, you hope he's moved forward and the guys in the Orioles clubhouse last year did by and large like Harvey a lot, but, you know, we really are at a point where we're ready to take the next step with our rotation to promote some of these prospects. We're already seeing Bradish in there. Rodriguez is already throwing 85 pitches in triple a. And I feel like we just don't need Matt Harvey. And so with the suspension, again, as Tyler said, this was expected, but I, I personally do not understand why the Orioles went for him. It, you know, it just doesn't, he doesn't provide that much um, as a depth piece for the rotation. He doesn't provide that much as, you know, like a lovable guy anymore because he was involved in this horribly tragic death. So yeah, I, I just don't get it. And I thought it was worth saying that on here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, uh, I totally hear where you're coming from. I think, you know, my perspective is I'm, I'm all about second chances with guys and Harvey has clearly had some things. I think he even had things going back to when he was with the Mets where there was talk of some of the escapades that he was up to. Um, so yeah, I think from that perspective, um, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with giving second chances to people. It becomes, you know, if he was conducting himself well, which according to Mike Elias, he was with the Orioles. That's great. I'm, I'm happy he can kind of remake his life and, and improve his life. Although clearly he's had a negative impact on some other people's lives. Um, that's great. Um, but being a professional baseball player is a privilege. It's not a right. Um, and on top of that, you have to perform as well. And he didn't really do that for the Orioles last year either. He wasn't very good. Uh, so, like, I just don't I just don't think it, it makes a lot of sense. Elias said to the press that he expects Harvey could be an option for them in the second half of the season. And 
that doesn't make any sense because that should be lining up with debuts for Grayson Rodriguez and maybe D.L. Right. Hall. So, and Dean Kramer is coming back from injury. Not that you necessarily think he's going to be an, a starter every day or every fifth day, but you'd rather see Dean Kramer pitch than Matt Harvey. Um, so I just don't think it makes a lot of sense. You know, if they want to have him in the organization, pitch for Norfolk and be there in case of emergency, I think maybe that makes sense. But um, I, I don't see how he makes sense on the Orioles major league roster in 2022. Um, so I'm, I'm right there with you, Eli. Barring like a giant COVID outbreak, like a month. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> right. And even that nowadays, they've, they've changed the restrictions so much. And I think the Orioles have a really high percentage, if not all of their players. Well, we know not all of their players Aiken. are vaccinated, <laughs> but I think a very high percentage num- number of their players are vaccinated. So I don't even anticipate that being that much of a problem. Um, yeah, it's just kind of odd. It, it would be, I don't know. I, I don't want to say it'd be one thing if he pitched well last year, cause that sounds super crass and, and, and detached from the severity of what happened, but, um, you know, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense from a whole lot of angles, I guess is what I'll say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's all we've got for Orioles, uh, news this episode, Um, As I said at the very top, we are going to try to regroup internally and get back on a normal schedule. We've talked about a couple options, but um, we'll figure that out and give you guys that news next time, I think. Um, Until then, though, you should definitely check us out on Twitter where Eli's running things and really doing a nice job over there. Uh, It's at the Warehouse Pod. You can also email the show if you want to let us know your thoughts on maybe a schedule that makes sense or the type of content you like to engage with. Uh, That's the Warehouse Pod at gmail.com. Um, yeah. And, and above all else, please subscribe to the podcast on uh, whatever platform you can, you consume your podcasts. And we're also on substack.com, which is a newsletter platform where uh, you can get the podcast sent to your inbox. You don't have to be connected to any sort of podcasting app. If you just prefer to do that, that's the warehouse pod.substack S U B S T A C K.com. Um, yeah. Anything you guys want to shout out before we skedaddle? We love Adley. We love Adley. This is an Adley show um, 24-7, basically, at this point. Yeah. They'll come up every episode, probably. I I mean, I think that's totally justified. An Adley, um, what's it called? An Adley topic every episode, I think, is completely fair. We should give him his own segment. We should. And we should. Jesse Jesse will write the theme song. Let's think about it. Yeah. Okay, Jesse will come with a fully fleshed out theme song next episode. That's a a promise. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that is the show for this week. We appreciate you all so much for listening to us. Um, Until next time, this has been the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Let's go Adley's. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.